Good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Randy Peterson. Uh, if you do know me, I'm somebody else incognito this morning. No, I, actually there are a number of uh, faces here that I don't recognize. I've been worshiping at Mount Laurel for the last, uh, most of the last two years, and so it's great to see people here that I don't know, because uh, uh, that means uh, the church is, is growing and that you are, uh, you are coming here and uh, enjoying uh, what this church has to offer. So, uh, so welcome to you, uh, introductions from me. Uh, I am part of the preaching team, happy to be uh, in that company, and uh, for some reason they told me I needed to preach this morning, so I am, I am going to do my best. I also understand this is uh, being recorded and uh, sent over to Mount Laurel, so uh, yo Mount Laurel, yeah! <laughs> We have our little gang signs there. Yeah, it's great. Really cool place. I just made that up about the gang signs. We really don't have that. But uh, Craiger, if you're out there, you could start working on that gang sign thing. Um, I want to talk to you today about dog people and cat people. Very important spiritual lesson here. Um, not, not whether you own dogs or cats, but whether you are like a dog or like a cat. I have the feeling that so many of the world's divisions these days come down to whether you're a dog person or a cat person. Dogs are uh, loyal. Dogs recognize authority. They're pack animals, so they want to know what that alpha dog is and follow that. They... Uh, uh, they know there are rules, and they know that they will be punished if they're a bad dog. They want to know where they stand. Um, I really don't know anything about dogs, but Jeff Bills taught me everything I know about dogs. He's a dog owner. And he told me once that if you're training a dog, you want to wrestle that dog and let, show him who's boss, that you need to establish yourself as the alpha dog, and then they will do whatever you want. Or that's the theory, anyway. Um, cats are different. <laughs> Very different. Um, I remember a story from my childhood. My sister, three years younger than, than I am, uh, she was, I think she was like seven at the time. We had a cat. And, uh, and my sister, Catherine, had this fluffy robe, and the robe had this, this belt that she would, she would take off and she would roll it up, this fuzzy belt, she would roll it up and then she'd throw it across the room and the cat would go scampering after the belt and pick it up in its mouth and then drag it to some other part of the house. And Catherine thought that was the greatest thing in the world and so she would go find it and she'd roll it up again and throw it somewhere else and the cat would scamper after that and pick it up in its mouth and drag it to some other corner of the house and Catherine would go running after that and roll it up again and throw it to another place and then at some point she said to the rest of the family, look, I'm training the cat to fetch. <laughs> and, and I think it was my mom who said, no, Kathy, I, I think the cat's training you to fetch. Cats are like that. They are independent. They are sometimes ornery. They sometimes know what you want them to do and do the exact opposite of it. You might call that creative, maybe. They are certainly individualistic. 
what applies to anyone else in the universe doesn't apply to them. And so you see where I'm going with this, with people, with personalities. There are some who are extremely loyal, who recognize authority, who look for that authority. They want to know where they stand. They understand rules. They understand punishment. They have a system that they follow. They are dog-like. I am not like that. But I have respect for that. So if you are here today and that characterizes you, I am not criticizing you. And so I don't want you to take anything in this message today as a criti criticism of who you are and how you naturally operate. There's some wonderful things in that. The cat person is more independent, sometimes ornery, creative, individualistic. I remember a story that took place here in this building, down the hall there, in a meeting room, I, it, and it was maybe 20 years ago. Um, and you know, here we are celebrating our, taking a whole year to celebrate our 30th anniversary, starting at our 29th until our 30th. And uh, anyway, this was back in the early years, and um, uh, we were having some sort of a meeting and there were kids playing in the hall, running around and, and shouting and a little too loud and a little too boisterous. And uh, someone in my group said, uh, you know, somebody should go out and yell at them. They, they shouldn't be you know, roughhousing in, in God's house. And, uh, and I said, you can if you want, but I don't ever want a kid to think that they can't have fun in the house of the Lord. And uh, I th at the time, I thought it was a really wise thing that I said. And, um, and I still think there's some merit in it. Although then I thought, you know, we probably don't want people trashing the place. That there are some standards about this place. That it is, it is holy in that holy things happen here. This is where we meet with God. And so we don't want people disrespecting the place. And at the same time, I was right. That if people are having fun, are enjoying the, the, the space, that's what this is for, the joy of the Lord. And so dogs and cats, my friend was kind of dog-like in that. I was kind of cat-like. And we can uh, have a healthy debate on those, uh, on those matters. I think people come to the Bible in the same way. Some are dog-like, that they immediately look for the rules. They look for the systems. How is this biblical religion practiced? I want to know where I stand. I want to do it right and be part of that religion. And then there are cat people who kind of say, well, the yeah, Bible gives us a lot of good ideas, but let's figure it out for ourselves. Let's see how we apply these ideas to our everyday lives. Is there a middle way? Is there a way that doesn't get over-concerned with rules or a way that doesn't, get, doesn't throw all the rules out the window? Is there a middle way that combines the loyalty and perhaps the humility of the dog-like approach with the uh, creativity and the individuality of the cat-like approach? So it's not just a bunch of rules that we follow from the Bible, but the wisdom of the Bible is applied within a relationship that we have. Now, that's easier said than done. Everyone likes wisdom, but really 
we trust rules. Things seem chaotic when we don't know where we stand, when we don't have those rules in place. We, we very easily end up trusting the religion of the rules of the Bible rather than trusting in a relationship with the God of the Bible. And that's what this series is about. We're in the middle of this four-part series called Unreligious, where we are tackling this question of what is Christianity? Are, are we really following a religion, even this age-old religion, a religion that's set down in the Bible? Is that what it's all about, or is there something more? And we are saying there is something more here. There is a relationship with God. It's not just about following the system, following the rules, following the customs, doing everything right. It's about living in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How do we unpack that? How do we live that out in our own lives? How do we share that with others? That's what we are looking at in these, in these weeks. So when we look at how we look at the Bible, let's talk about the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. Catholics have more. For some reason, I'm not going to go into. But um, we've got 66 of them. Two and a half of them are full of rules. Two and a half of the 66 books of the Bible are full of rules. Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Even there, there's some relationship stuff that, that gets in there. Um, that, uh, you know, love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength. That's in Deuteronomy. So we have some really great relational stuff in those rule books as well. But, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy and half of Exodus, maybe a little bit in Numbers, we find those rules of the Bible. But even there in those first five books called the books of Moses, we find a lot of stories we find how God interacted with people. And in fact, as you go through the rest, the other 63 and a half books of the Bible, you find a lot of stories. You find history. You find parables. You find poems and songs. You find letters and sermons. Many ways in which people are interacting with God, in which they are conducting this relationship with God. And yet... So many Christians focus primarily on the rules. They look for the rules. Am I doing this right? I thought of the story of a, um, of a kid at camp. Uh, he's, you know, summer camp, a couple of weeks there, and he gets a letter in the middle of that time. He gets a letter from his mom. And the letter, it's a beautiful letter. And mom says, you know, we, we love you so much. We miss you. We miss having you. Have, Miss having you around here, but we hope you're having fun. Now make sure you get out and meet a new friend every day. That that's really important to, to hang out with other kids, and we know you're kind of a loner, so, so you know, meet someone new every day. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? And don't just sit in your cabin playing video games on your phone. Get out and do the activities of the camp. We know you have a lot of activities there, and we know last year you loved the archery stuff. And you're good at archery. So we really hope that you win the, the, the championship in the archery competition there. Now, you know, also, you know, make sure you brush your teeth every day and make sure you say your prayers every night, uh, just like we taught you. But uh, we really love you and hope you're having a great time. So, anyway, 
kid reads the letter, and another kid comes by and says, what's that? Oh, a letter from my mom. Wow, great. And he says, now, mom is just so bossy. What? Yeah, she's so bossy. She is telling me that I have to, I have to meet a new friend every day. Man, I got enough to do here. I, I can't be bothered about meeting a new friend every day. She is saying, I, I'm not allowed to play video games in the, in, on my phone in the cabin. I got to go out and do, do the games and stuff there. And if I don't win that archery competition, she's going to be really upset. And of course, I have to brush my teeth. And I have to pray every day. And she is always telling me what to do. Well, we kind of do that with the Bible sometimes, don't we? Where God is saying, here's a relationship I want to have with you. And it's for your good. It's for you to grow into the person I want you to be. And it would be a great idea if you did this. And here's another way that you can have the kind of full life I want for you. And we come away saying, God is so bossy. There are all these things God wants me to do. And I got to do this and this and this in order to be a good Christian. God wants a relationship with us. And the Bible gives us pictures of that relationship in many ways, in many periods of time, in many situations. I've said it before uh, from here about a year and a half ago, uh, but it, it bears repeating. As I look at the Bible, I see the essential truth that God speaks and things happen. We find that in the third verse of the Bible. God says, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God spoke the world into being. He created the world by speaking to it. God speaks and things happen. And you know, the whole Bible then is this record we have of God speaking and things happening and people responding to what God says and what happens. So I should have put that on a screen here because uh, I'd love to see that like memed out on Facebook and everything. But the Bible is the record of God speaking and things happening and people responding. That's what we have in the Bible. From it, from this collection of God's activity and people's responses, we find wisdom. We find wisdom for our lives. We find wisdom for the various situations that we face in life. Some of which are very much like what the people in Bible times faced, and others are, are kind of new. They didn't have smartphones back then. We've got to figure some new things out. But we also have examples of God speaking to the situations that people were in. And there are rules. But there's also a development of those rules. There's also a processing of those rules. There's also an application that happens. And as you go through the Bible, you find that sometimes later prophets and writers uh, adjusted what was said in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You get new takes on it as people applied those principles to the realities of their life. So we have God speaking and people responding even before the law was given. You have Abraham 
in a conversation with God, you have Jacob, you have, um, but then you have Moses. The, all these people God speaks to, God challenges, God empowers, God develops a relationship with, and then as the nation of Israel is being brought out of slavery in Egypt, he sits them down at Mount Sinai and says, here are some rules for you to build a nation around. You've just been a motley group of clans so far. You're going to be a nation now, and you're going to be worshiping me. Here's, here's how you can do that. And so he gives the law to this nation. And they follow some of those rules, and some, some they don't. And time goes by, and the situations change. Now, some of those laws that seem kind of silly to us now may have been particular responses to particular challenges that they were facing then. So you're going to be moving into a land, the land of Canaan, where some people worship different gods. And they may have certain customs. So they may, uh, they may get tattoos that honor a particular idol. And so I don't want you getting tattoos. They, they may clip their beards in certain ways to indicate their allegiance to the false god Baal. I, don't do that. You're, you're special to me. They may, you may be tempted to kind of play both sides, to worship Baal and also worship me. Uh, don't do that. And as a reminder of that, I'm going to ask you not to plant two different types of seed in your, in your farmland. Because it's, it's all or nothing. You're either with me or not. You can't play both sides. I'm going to ask you not to mix two different types of fabric in your clothing. Because you're all with me or not. I'm teaching you lessons in how you live, live your life in this culture. And so we look at that today, and there's a, there's a host of questions we have. Then, okay, so is it okay to get a tattoo? There's a verse in the Bible that says we shouldn't do that. Now, does that apply to us today when, people, you know, when we don't have this false god that people are worshiping in that way? I, I clipped my beard this, well, not this morning, yesterday morning I did. Was that wrong? Because there's a verse in the Bible that says do not clip the edges of your beard. I don't think it was. I think there was a command that was given for a certain time in order to advance a certain kind of relationship with God. And that we are called to apply the wisdom of our relationship with God as we look at those commands today. And actually, we see as the scripture goes on, there's this really interesting story from the life of David, where David, before he was king... He was being hunted down by his rival, Saul. And he was on the run. And he came to the tabernacle, the holy place of Israel, the, the tent of meeting. And one of the cool things about the tabernacle was that they baked bread every morning. Isn't that cool to be, go to a worship place and have the smell of baking bread? We really should do that here. We've talked about that, but, but that would be a really cool thing here. Yeah. 
So get up at 5 in the morning, come here and bake the bread. And, uh, yeah. Um, so there was this holy bread. Bread offered to God. And, and at the end of the day, the priests would be able to eat the bread because they were holy people. And so this was in the law. This was how the religion of the Israelites operated. The bread was holy. People just couldn't chow down on the bread. But David comes, and he is starving to death. He's been traveling for some time on the run, and, and he's going to meet with his posse, and they're coming from who knows where, and they're going to be hungry. And he says, do you have any bread? And the priest says, well, I don't accept the holy bread. Let me give you that. And he gives David the holy bread of the, of the tabernacle. He broke all the rules of the holy bread in order to give these to David and his posse. And yet in the New Testament, Jesus mentions that incident in a positive way. It was good for him to do that. He was, reckon, he was acting in wisdom. He was meeting a current need. It was more about the relationship with God that David would become a key part of. We wanted to keep David alive. And so we were able to break the rule of the tabernacle in order to keep David fed. As you continue throughout the Bible, we find various prophets talking about how some of the ultra-dog-like Israelites were following the rules, following the religion, following the system, but missing the point. And so, through Isaiah, God says, stop bringing me meaningless sacrifices. They were following the rules. The rules laid out in Leviticus of bringing sacrifices to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple at that point. They're doing everything right. But God says those are meaningless sacrifices because your hearts are not in it. You're not doing it for relationship. You're doing it for religion. So those sacrifices stink. He actually says that they are a stench in my nostrils. Stop bringing me smelly stuff. Elsewhere he says, your lips praise me, but your hearts are far away. Another prophet, uh, Joel, uh, refers to a custom where the Israelites in times of national mourning uh, would uh, rip the edges of their, of their clothes. A sign of, of repentance, a sign of sorrow. And uh, there were time, bad times that the nation was going through when Joel was uh, prophesying. And so through Joel, God says, tear your hearts and not just your clothes. You're doing the actions of repentance, but you're not repenting. If you want to come into a relationship with me, do that. Don't just do the showy stuff. It's not about the religion. It's about the relationship. We have the prophet Micah summing this up. And we actually have this on a, on a, on a scripture slide here. It took me a while to get to the scriptures. But uh, Micah kind of sums things up. And various prophets we have doing this sort of thing, taking a new look at what God requires. And he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act 
justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there are other ways he could have answered that question. What does the Lord require of you? There are 613 commandments in the law. Follow these commandments. But he doesn't say that. What God wants is relational. Act justly. Show mercy. Walk humbly with your God. And Jeremiah goes even deeper. Um, we have the, the next. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is relational. This is the relationship he wants with us. His law on our hearts. He is our God. We are his people. Jesus comes along and uh, one of the first things that we have him saying at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount is, uh, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, the law, we still need to keep all the rules of the law because Jesus did not come to abolish it. But what does it mean that Jesus fulfilled it? And actually, even in that, that same sermon, he goes through and talks about some of the laws, you shall not kill. And he says, I, I'm going to fulfill this by changing your heart so that you do not hate. Not just thou shalt not commit adultery, but you shall not lust. That there are heart things that God wants to do with us that take us beyond what the law requires. That, that take us even deeper into a relationship with God where he empowers us to do what he wants. And of course, Jesus also fulfills the law by following through on his mission, being crucified for the sins of the people. He was the ultimate sacrifice there that paid our debt so that we could have this relationship with God. There's a remarkable argument that the Apostle Paul makes in Galatians chapter 5. Um, and we're going to look at a few of those verses uh, there. Paul has spent the first four chapters of this book talking about how the limits of the law. He's, been, he's writing to Jews who are following the rules, trusting the rules and the religion to save them. He's also talking to some Gentiles, non-Jews, who've been listening to those rule-keeping Jews. And they've been kind of persuaded. Oh yeah, we've, we've got to start doing the Jewish stuff in order to really follow Jesus. And Paul lays into them. I mean, he says, you stupid Galatians. How can you go backwards on this? Jesus has set you free. The law had a purpose to bring you to Jesus. That was its purpose. It has done that. You don't need to go back and focus on rule keeping because God wants a relationship with you. And in, in chapter 15, he talks, or ch chapter 5, he talks about freedom. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't let the rules enslave you. And he goes on in that chapter 
talking about this. There are actually three forces that we find in Galatians 5. And one is the law, and the next one is the flesh, our human desires. So when you take away the law, can you just do whatever you want? Well, he addresses that later in the chapter in verse uh, 13, I think it is. We have, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So don't let your personal selfish desires run your life and let you run roughshod over everybody else. You are free from the law, but you're free to serve others, to love others within this God relationship. And so we have those two forces. He says no to the law. He says no to the flesh. There is a new way. And perhaps you see with me the ultra dogs and the ultra cats in that. Okay? Those who are focused entirely on the law. We got to know where we stand. And the cats who say, ah, just let me do what I want. Neither of those is the way of Christ. There's a new way. And it is in the Holy Spirit of Christ that is in our hearts. God writes his law on our hearts as the Spirit guides us in behavior. And so we find later in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is in our lives, stuff happens in our lives. And we have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And actually, I, I believe this should say about such things there is no law. Because we wouldn't make laws against those. But these are not matters of legislation. You can't force someone to love by writing a law about it. It's something that happens in the heart. And that's what God wants to do with us in this relationship we have with him. Paul knew that he was creating new territory here. He was a pioneer. He was, a, he was an adventurer. But God was leading him to bring people into a relationship with him and to take a new look at the religion of the Old Testament, the religion that had been given. Yes, it was precious. Yes, it had great purpose to it. Yes, it was given by God. It was God speaking and things happening and people responding, but there was a new thing that God wanted to do with people. It's actually the author to Hebrews that, that, um, uh, that gives us uh, a great statement about this. And we're going to end with, uh, with this. He quotes from Jeremiah, interestingly. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We've heard that before. But he goes on, and, and this is also from Jeremiah, no longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And then the author adds, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. That religious focus... That following the rules so you know where, you're where you stand, that trusting the rules to save you is obsolete 
there is a new thing God is doing with us, and that is the relationship he wants to have with us through Jesus. So my challenge to you this morning, if you are dog-like, good for you. Let your loyalty keep bringing you back to God. Let your humility keep making you offer yourselves in service to God in this relationship that he wants to have with you. But stop trusting in the rules of religion to make you worthy of God. Only God can do that in that relationship. And if you're a cat, stop rejecting the Bible. Stop saying, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. There's nothing for me there. And embrace that creative application of the wisdom of God in the scripture as it applies to you individually and empowers you individually to serve the people around you in love.